Let's get chilly. Hello and welcome to Let's Chill, the official unofficial Minnesota Strike and Minnesota Ultimate podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm Jay. And I'm Kane. And with us today, we have Robin Fennig. Robin, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on tonight. We have got a bunch of great questions. Um, and I think we're just going to start with what we, we usually do on this podcast is what we call Salt 10. So we have a couple of trivia questions that we do, and we got you got 10 seconds to answer them. So um, I'll kick us off. I got a, a Stall 10 question that we'll just throw out to the group. Robin, you're more than welcome to answer it, but I think you're going to know the answer pretty easily. Um, but you're more than welcome to. Uh, so the question is, in 2018, uh, Robin had played on an AUDL team. And the question is, what team did she play for? 2018, you said? Yep. Oh, shoot. Okay. Where did you live four years ago, five years ago? Um, I lived in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Radicals, boom, done, easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say radicals because I was like, I remember reading like up on before the interview, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was Madison, but it was indeed. Nice, interesting. It may have been tricky because I had a, I, I had my, uh, my married last name, so that I think people mm-hmm. forget that I was that also that Robin. So, right. yeah. Right. Nice. Jay, you have. Uh, yeah, I do. All right, I want to direct this one actually at Kane. We were poking some fun. Uh, reading articles earlier today. Kane Jeff wrote recently wrote an article. Uh the five strike players to watch in 2023. Kane, who is the second player Jeff mentioned in that article? All right, full disclosure, have not read it yet. Um I, I don't even know that answer. I don't know the order I put uh, it. It was in. Robin, obviously. No, it was not. And I was really hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Robin was, was the first player I, I mentioned. Uh, I don't remember was... the second. Jane Cook. That's Cook the pronunciation of the last name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That name does sound familiar. Again, I haven't read the article, but I've seen the name. So I'll take I'll take partial credit. Half a point for Kane. <laughs> mm-hmm. right, you know what? I'm gonna send one right back to Jay then. I got a question. How many teams are in the Premier Ultimate League as of 2023? I I have no clue. Um I'll give you a hint. It's the same amount of siblings that you have. Oh, is it 12? It's 12. Because the Philadelphia Surge got added this year. I'm not going to lie. I was going to say nine. That was my, that was going to be my guess without the hint. Hey, um, well, let's just get into some questions then for Robin. Um, Like I said, we've got a lot of, a lot of questions that we have, but then, a lot of people on Instagram had sent in some questions, so that's just going to be like a whole segment in itself. Um, Robin, let's just let's just start with an easy one. Tell us about like your ultimate experience, your background, how you got into the game, and where you are now. Yeah, so I uh, I would say the first time that I was exposed to ultimate was when I so I played collegiate fast pitch softball at the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire, and it was introduced as an alternative warm up activity. Uh, so we would run around in, in lieu of like doing like a normal, like kind of conditioning part of practice before we would jump into stuff. And I think everyone would prefer that to whatever running we were doing. Um, but as a catcher, I had to run around and play in my catching gear. So I didn't wear my helmet. It was just like the chest protector and the shin guards. So yeah, it, 
so, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but when certain softball like pitchers learn certain pitches, they actually learn how to throw like variations of forehands. Uh, so the only people who could throw flick were our pitchers and they weren't like normal flicks by any means, but they were flick like, we'll say flick adjacent throws. Um, but everyone else could like throw hammers and backhands. So that was kind of how we would play Frisbee. Um, and then I started, I, I played intramurals my sophomore year and got recruited to come to a practice. I would say the team was like, you should come try it. Cause they were trying to separate from the men's club team. And it was like a probationary team, if you will, like they were trying to start. And so they needed to get a few more players. I finally went to a practice at 6am in the spring semester and had a really good time. And here I am several years later. <laughs> uh, so I, I had to do the math. It's like what, like 14 or 15 years later. So. Oh yeah. yeah. And you've been playing for a long time. Like your, your ultimate resume just keeps getting longer and longer. I feel like um, <laughs> it's yeah, pretty cool to see. It's, it's hard guess, to follow sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's weird too. Cause I like got married in the middle of it and then got divorced. So it's like, if you're following along, there's like weird things that might be listed under one name and not the other and vice versa. So you right. really got to like stalk me to, to know all of the, uh, the entire story, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. I'm actually, I'm at university of Wisconsin river falls right now. Nice. And I'm also on the club team here and then play intramurals as well. And I have a couple of friends. I, I know a couple of people on the Eau Claire team. I had no clue. That's where you like started playing. That's really cool. And that's like, such a random way to get into the sport. I feel like everyone else yeah. we've, like interviewed or even I've like, talked to has gone into ultimate because someone was like, Oh, let's go play Frisbee. But that's, that's, that's super cool. I like that. Yeah. I'll say my first uh, intramural game, one of my first intramural games, we, my like dorm team was playing against like the team that had a bunch of people on the club team. So we were like playing zone offense. You're attempting to play zone offense. Um, but like, you know, I, I think intramural rules are a little bit different than like the USA ultimate, whatever edition. Um, and so like, there was a rule that rather than it being disc space, it had like the person had to be like an arm's length away from you. Mm -hmm. And that the call to do that was to say, get back. So I kid you not, like, I just like shoved this guy on the market, just shoved him. And he got back like in a disc space, like a way he just continued to do that. And me not knowing anything about like ultimate spirit of game, anything. I just like pivoted like a basketball, like, like I had a basketball and I pivoted and hit him in the face. So, and then went to school, like went to class, like, cause it was like the first week of classes and uh, he was in one of my economics classes. So I got to meet someone at the club team because I hit him in the face and then had to go to class the next day and see him. So that's amazing. That yeah. Is Um, okay. I, I have thoughts. They're really, yeah, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So you are playing for the Minnesota strike this year. Um, one of our questions, but also a couple Instagram questions is what made you decide to join the strike this year instead of the, the Monarchs or another, another team in the PUL? Well, so I moved to California, so I knew that there was going to be quite a bit of travel. I assumed that I had missed all of the WUL uh, tryouts. So like the Western Ultimate League is the women's and non-binary uh, athlete um, focused league for the West, kind of the West Coast area. Um, the Premier Ultimate League feels like it's more, you know, east of the Rockies, if you will. 
And I knew I wanted to play on a pro team, but I wasn't necessarily sure which one. Um, I went to the tryouts for Milwaukee Monarchs. Um, I think I got really excited about the coaching staff also for the strike. Um, when the teams kind of, I think, found out their schedules, I was trying to, I like, I had asked like for more information about like, Hey, do you know how many road games you're going to play? How many home games, that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like if I was looking at playing Milwaukee, I would have probably ended up flying into Chicago or something like that. But, um, Milwaukee's road game schedule was really tough. Um, they have three away games in Eastern standard time and going from Pacific to Eastern time is a little tough. Um, and then two of those are divisional games. So those are really important. I think like as a rostered player, it's really important to be at all the divisional games if possible, um, because that's what determines whether a team makes it to the playoffs. Um, and I, I wasn't going to play with any team if I wasn't going to be able to make most of, if not all of the divisional games um, and the strikes season schedule also aligned um, a lot better. Um, it's a lot easier to get to Minnesota for all of the divisional games. And then there's the one kind of like road game in Madison, uh, at the end of our season, at the end of our regular season. So, um, I also was pretty familiar with a lot of the players having played against them between the women's division when I played for heists and they played for pop or, um, when I was in the mixed division playing with noise and then playing against them in, at, on dragon. There's also like a bunch of players on the strike that I've had the opportunity to play with. And I really enjoy that. So there's a lot of really good factors. Um, I had some meetings with the coaches and owners, and I think it was really easy for me to like, if I went to the tryouts, had a really good time, they thought it was a fit. I could see that it would have been a good fit for me. So that's kind of how I got signed up for strike this year. Um, I'm really excited about the opportunity, honestly, to, to play on a team that I think, kind of has all those big components that someone would look for in a professional ultimate experience. So. Yeah. When I was trying to do those five players to watch, like it was so hard to, to pick five and I almost bumped it to seven or 10, but then I was like, well, then I'll just be the whole roster, which like is cool too. But you know, um, I feel like every player on the, on the roster has just this, this vast ray of range of experience. And a lot of people played mixed. A lot of people played at, like worlds and nationals and and like it's just it's just really cool to see how do you see the team like forming like what do you expect to see this year and can you give us a little preview of like what we can expect to see um, in the stands yeah i think the the coaches are very intentional about grouping the players in a line structure that kind of plays to each of the player strengths i don't think that's necessarily unique to strike i think that's what a good coaching squad's going to do um, but really thinking about not just the roles that players play, um, but kind of the pace that they play, what kind of, you know, systems offensively and defensively they thrive in, and then kind of building lines that kind of align with that structure. So um, we kind of have, we have an O-line who I think is, you know, we're very fast paced. Um, we can, I think we have like really big, aggressive, big, aggressive cuts and throws, Um good aggressive disc movement, very assertive cutters um, who are like really good in isolation. And then we also have like a flex line that plays, you know, a faster pace, give, go, very, you know, very dynamic between handlers and cutters interchanging. And then we also have more of a traditional defensive line that is really like built on letting some creative throwers um, get to throw things really fast and transition out to space to people like, you know, Jane, 
Cook, who's a monster receiver, super fast, can run down anything, right? So I, I like that the coaches thought intentionally about how to put people in those roles um, from, and I think did a pretty good job of communicating that from the tryout process, then also built the tryouts around finding people that fall into those structures. Um, I also think that our coaches and our team in general is working a lot with the clock management side. I think that was something that I really appreciated playing in the ADL. Like there was a really big emphasis on clock management, you know, thinking strategically about timeouts, some of the rules, that kind of stuff that I didn't necessarily see in the PUL and WUL yet. And I think the coaches are really, you know, based on some learning experiences last year, like I know Carlos coached last year, um, Pat's obviously new to the coaching squad this year, but I think they're doing a really effective job at incorporating that into our film studies, into our practice plans. I mean, it was incorporated into tryouts and, you know, I, I feel like people are being pushed in that way. Um, I really like to think about the rules in that way for the, the pro game. And so I've been really enjoying that aspect as well. And I think that our team will do a pretty good job of managing the clock. I'm expecting that at least just because we are putting a lot of time and energy into that. Interesting. Um, that's, yeah, so that's a good little preview to look for. Um, so kind of bouncing around a little bit, but you had, you had kind of mentioned like playing in the PUL, um, the AUDL, you haven't played in the WUL, is that, that correct? No, I have not yet. Okay. But, but with those two leagues and then uh, again, with all of your experience playing on all these other teams and clubs and, and everything, like, how do you see the game differing in these in these leagues and like how do you see that like I guess like what do you what has been like your best experience with that what do you prefer what do you like from these leagues what do you dislike yeah I think the professional game because it's you know players are only having to play one game I think that they manage their bodies um a lot differently than you would through a tournament where you're being asked to play three to four games a day across multiple multiple days of competition uh, so I think that players really have the opportunity to like really go all out on every single play and every single point that they play. Um, and there's more support around helping care for players on the sidelines and stuff like that, which is definitely not something that most teams are accustomed to in the club division or college division. I mean, that depends you know, largely on your club structure and some of the resources you have. Um, I do feel like the single game play, like, because it's timed, you know, you're not playing to a prescribed point score, you know, that everyone is going to play the same amount of minutes, if you will, in a game that I think that also equalizes when a play, when there's a team, when you're preparing for your next game, um, you know, that the team is going to feel very similar to you. The only difference might be whether they traveled or not, or whether you traveled or not, but you can kind of, you plan for the load. It's really easy to train and prepare because you know exactly the duration you're going to be playing kind of the approximate number of points. I mean, you can watch a lot of film break down, like how you need to break down your conditioning intervals to match, you know, the points, the, the duration of points that you're going to play and that kind of stuff. So I think it's a lot easier to train and prepare. And then it's also a lot easier to perform as an athlete when you only have to do it for one game. Um, you also get a lot more time to, to prepare for a specific opponent so your game plan can be a lot more solid in that regard. Whereas like with a tournament, you might know all of your pool play opponents and you might 
kind of guess which teams you're expecting to play in your crossover rounds or your, your bracket game and adjust kind of as you can on the fly. But it's, there's so many other variables throughout an entire weekend that you can't necessarily do the same level of scouting and preparation as you do for, you know, a whole week or multiple weeks or even months, because we know our whole schedule right now. So we can start the preparation now. I've got, I've got a dog. That's very, uh, very happy apparently by something going on outside. Um, but I think like as an athlete, I really do like the pro game. Um, I will say probably my favorite experience though, is any opportunity I get to play international ultimate, whether that's like a world championship level, whether it's a fun tournament, like windmill or Tom's tourney or, you know, getting, I think that there's so much to be learned, um, from the way other teams and like structure their offenses and their, you know, it really challenges me to think about like what, like, how do I value space? How do I want to use space on the field? You know, what types of structures I might thrive in or prefer. So I think that getting the opportunity to play internationally uh, in Europe specifically has been really, really good for me um, to grow my, just the way that I see the game and help me really think about where I thrive, how I thrive and the, the types of like offenses and defenses I really like to run. Um, yeah, I think that that's, I don't know if that's that answered the question. I feel like I talked for a long time though. No, that was good. I, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I didn't even think about like international play that, and like how that totally changes the game itself. That's that's really cool. Yeah. I'm very thankful for that, for the experience that I've gotten to have between national teams and then playing with Yaka, which is the uh, women's uh, club team that I sometimes play with um, just outside of Paris. So then I'm actually this year I'm helping I'm an assistant coach for the Irish mixed national team for the European championships. So getting to like learn a whole new set of players, different strategies, and then also like get to push some of, you know, push the team a little bit strategically. Um, I'm also getting to do like more one-on-one skills coaching. Cause that's something I can do, you know, abroad, you know, several hours away. So that's been really fun to push me as a coach. Cause I don't typically get to do that. I feel like when I've coached, I've had, I was doing more like the big picture, like macro field, you know, level line management stuff. So I I feel like other coaches that I've coached with have gotten to dive into that individual skills coaching. And it's really fun to do that with national team level athletes who are really serious about their training, um, ask phenomenal questions. And it's a really cool exchange to go back and forth. That's sick. I feel like we need a second to process how much like you're just like spouting at us right now. This is crazy. Like there is no way to like understate how impressive it is to us or overstate. I should say, so I not understate that you're just dropping. Like we, we have a list on this, on this doc of like questions and stuff of some of like, the things you've done. That is so cool. That you like are coaching a team in Ireland from California while playing in Minnesota is this all at the same time? Like, what is like, what is like your year to year breakdown? Like, what are what are the seasons for these different leagues you're in? Um, I don't know if I heard the whole question because my dog was barking at an Amazon delivery driver, but I think I heard enough of it to to answer. So, the season breakdown, I think, like I when it comes to, I think it's easy for me to like differentiate between like the U.S. club season and then the other opportunities because. The U.S. club season is the same every year. It, you know, runs roughly, you know, May or now that I'm out here, it starts way earlier. Like I'm already doing tryouts out here just for, for a team to practice with. 
Um, but like the club season, the competitions run what July through October every year. Um, and so like the PUL or the WL, it's kind of like a January to June. So the front end of that, and then this coaching experience, obviously, like it was definitely something I wasn't planning for, um, when the opportunity presented itself, presented itself. Um, I had been playing, you know, in Europe a few years, essentially starting in 2018, took a break during COVID like everyone else, but, um, have been trying to go at least once or twice a year since then. Um, and so just kind of making those connections and having that opportunity was like, I think that it'll be a really good opportunity for me to push myself in the coaching realm, just because knowing that my life was maybe going to be in transition, that it would be a good way to like continue to engage in strategy talks and those high level things that I wasn't sure like necessarily where I'd end up or what my playing season would necessarily look like. But I knew that I could like push me and keep me engaged, like my brain engaged, no matter where I ended up you know, at the end of the day with the job and all that stuff. Um, and honestly, like training wise, like my off season training starts, you know, November, like beginning of November runs. I just, I'm just wrapping up my like off season, like lifting cycles and stuff. And we'll be heading into more of like a, an in season. Like I try to do, like I've been, lifting and doing like the programming with strive and uplift since 2018. Um, and so I try to do like two in-season cycles from, you know, April, like mid April to, um, the end of the club season. So trying to go through that strength and conditioning uh, programming at least twice for in-season stuff. Um, and honestly, like this sounds like, I think that stepping away from ultimate and having to work a lot during COVID, um, really helped me find ways to like find joy in movement that has nothing to do with training for ultimate. And I think that because I've been able to do a much better job of that, um, and have some like balance, I don't know if people would think that what I'm doing is balanced, but I find that I have more, you know, extracurricular non-frisbee things in my life, which has brought a lot of joy. And I think it helps sustain that intense focus and energy and drive to be a year round thing. Um, but I think before COVID, I didn't have that. And there were definitely times where I would feel burnt out. Um, but I think now I found a little bit more balance, um, and found some more gentle ways to be active where it's really just moving for the sake of moving and has nothing to do with on-field performance. So I think that helps a lot as well. Um, but it does take a lot of meticulous planning, I think, to make sure that I'm hitting all of the metrics and goals that I have, and then also meeting all of the commitments for my various teams that I'm involved in. So thank God I'm a planner by, uh, by nature. I, say, I bet you're very organized. You sound like very meticulous. In some huh? ways, yes. And in some ways, no, uh, but the ways that I need to be, I definitely am. So, yeah. Go for All it, right. All right. Awesome. Um, so Robin, we've been hearing a lot from you, but, yeah, you know, I want to move towards like these these more rapid fire questions that we have. We have about eight like rapid fire questions, just some you know quick fun questions for you. So like, who's your favorite ultimate player of all time? Um, Randa Ralph. Okay. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite sport that isn't ultimate? Uh, team handball. Ooh, okay. It's your go-to relaxation show. Oh shit. Um. 
don't watch a lot of TV. I feel like I just watch sports. If I could watch the WNBA, that's like my go-to, just okay. what I watch oh. in general. I watch a lot of basketball. Nice. Okay. Um, what's your favorite throw? A uh, hammer. Perfect. Um, what's your preferred pizza topping or toppings, like combos? Uh, cheese. Cheese? I mean, I, it, it, that doesn't mean I just have to have one kind of cheese. I could have lots of cheeses. That's, that's true. That's I fair. Have, that's fair. I have yeah. a adjacent question to that. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no. Depends on the other toppings, but I'll say yes. Okay. You're a good person. All right. Yeah. Respect. Respect. Yeah. That's the right um, answer. <laughs> <laughs> we hear a wish talk fully endorse and support pineapple on pizza. That's our official stance on this. Yeah, I feel like especially if you have like something kind of spicy or like salty, like if you got a good salty meat, like or some something spicy or both, like pineapple's a good good addition. But like I'm not gonna like if it's like some pizza that's got like arugula and prosciutto and something or tomatoes or something, I probably wouldn't. But there's definitely a time and a place for just about any pizza topping. You could talk me into any pizza topping, I'd be into it. Here's here's my pizza order: barbecue sauce. Pineapple, banana peppers, chicken, and bacon. I like that you put the pineapple under the the chicken and the bacon. That's like, I feel like usually it goes on top. And that's why people are like, sometimes pineapple can be really strongly flavored. But if you put it below the salty foods, I think that that would, that would make a huge difference. And the order I listed them was intentional and totally not just accidental. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't necessarily have an order of how I put them on, but yeah. But yeah, it's, it's the sweet and salty combo. Like you're absolutely yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's perfect. I actually used to work at a pizza place for many years, like three. Um, and I, I always did like pineapple and green olive. So it's it's pretty still good. Think it's it pretty needs, good. It, still, it needs like a meat though in there too. Like I definitely mm. would be pro green olives and pineapple, but I definitely also want a meat. I think that's why ham is often tossed on there because ham is one of the saltier meats. I feel like mm. yeah, so it it's a good combo. Yeah. Wait, back to the rapid fire questions. <laughs> yeah, moving move, move <laughs> away from we, pizza we totally topping. That's the actual interview. Yeah, we interrupted everything to talk about pizzas, but that's fine. That's it's an important topic. The next one is, do you have any hidden talents and any hidden talents that you'd like to share with us? I'm really good at like knowing, identifying world flags. I don't know. That's just random. I don't know what else I'm, what I'm, what else I'm good at. I don't, I don't know. I wish we knew that because we would have just had a bunch of world flags ready to go. Yeah. 100%. I would have put that together and done like a little trivia. Like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. Next time, next time you're on, we'll, we'll have a mid-season interview when the strike are undefeated. I'll be like catching up with Robin. We'll just do like a, a little quick, like a quick, that'll, yeah, be, a that'll quick. be your stall ten question. Okay, It'll be, great. Can you get these ten flags in under ten seconds. That sounds great. I mean, that'd be insane. And I feel like it's going to depend on how fast you can share your screen and click through them. Like I think there's a couple other variables. You can, right. you can, you know, be it can be a really slow. It'll be a legitimate slow ten second stall count. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, you spent a lot of time in the Midwest, and uh, we're we're all from Minnesota. Um, do you call it hot dish or casserole? Are they the same? I feel like hot dish and casserole aren't the same thing. I feel like casseroles are like anything that's kind of like it's got to be you know it's in the casserole dish. Hot dish to me is like a type of casserole, and usually it's topped with tater tots, isn't it? 
Like every time I've had like some variation of a hot dish, someone's like, let's put tater tots on top. It's like, I see them as different things. Like casserole is like an all encompassing thing in a casserole like dish. But to me, hot dish is like, it's different. Is that not, is that not true? I think that's technically true, but it's hot dish. <laughs> it's. I acknowledge that there is a thing that is a hot dish, but it's, it maybe is different than casseroles. I respect that that's answer. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, that's okay. fair. I've never had like that kind of answer. It's, everyone's always so polarizing about it. That was like, way more eloquent and middle of yeah. the road than I've ever heard before. <laughs> I'm I'm a true Midwesterner. I don't want to take sides. I respect that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. No, who added this last one? But I did. I love this okay. question. Robin, what's right. your biggest fear? It can uh, be serious. Do you want to know my, my biggest fear? So like there's a real there's realistic fears, and then there's like unrealistic fears i'll tell you my my unrealistic fear is suffocating in hot volcanic ash we learned about we learned about pompeii when i was like in third grade and that's been like the scariest thing that i could possibly imagine not that that's like like the likelihood of that happening is very very low um i feel like my more realistic fear and this is maybe more of an insight to like my emergency management career path but um, I, I have a real fear of being stuck on a bridge or in a tunnel when there's like a, an accident that involves a hazardous material spill and just having to like, not, I can't do anything. I can't leave or like, it's, I don't know. That's, that's like something that really could happen. So yeah. Hazmat, hazmat is terrifying. Yeah. And like, you're in like a tunnel or a bridge, so you can't like leave, you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Like a pile up kind of situation. That's, that's what I'm talking Like that's. That's, I think, my biggest fear is that, or like, there's also like the, the, like the, the fear of like, oh, not reaching my potential or something, or like living a really unsatisfying life that that could be a good fear. I don't know. Now I'm just talking about fears. Is it it's also like, once I started listing them, I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of fears. That I, have. I don't know what the biggest one is. We don't have to get into the existential dread crisis. Yeah, right, right. yeah like <laughs> maybe yeah, that didn't means... come with my calendar invite that it was going to be like. Uh, a topic of was existentialism. Or We're going to talk about frisbee and death on this podcast. <laughs> That's... Maybe episode two. We'll see. We'll check in. Right. <laughs> Flags and death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So, like I said, we have a we had a bunch of Instagram questions. These are fan submitted, um, and so yeah, we just kind of want to go through them and and hear what you have to say. So. First one here is if you could swap out one rule of the game, what would you change it to and why? I really like the seven second stall count. I really would change it. Like, especially like, I don't think I would have it for like kids be maybe that fast, but like, I like it for like the higher levels of club and the pro. Like, I don't think it, I think ultimately people are playing with seven seconds of a stall count anyways, and then I would rather have it in the like in the pro setting to have the like um, the officials like stalling it. That's not the case in the PUL. So like the PUL didn't go to a seven second stall count this year. I just think it would help speed up the game a bit. Um, yeah, I think that would be my preferred rule change. And if we could like institute like a two point line, I'd be super into that too. I've seen a I lot of swap anything out though for that one because i would just add it I, I don't think i would i would want to change anything else interesting where would you put the two-point line because like so the audl did that in the all-star game last year 
And like the score just inflated like that. Like it was crazy. Yeah, but there's no defense in the in the ABL All-Star game either. Like that's true. So, that's you know, true. like I think if it's a meaningful game, um, honestly, like I know that the ABL is experimenting with some out-of-bounds pull rules and stuff. I think if you would have just put the um if you instituted a similar rule to like WFDF, uh, so the so like international frisbee, like you can choose to take the pole like where it goes out of bounds or at the brick, um, and essentially just put the two point line at the brick, so that if some if you pull out of bounds, you're giving someone the opportunity to get two points, right? Like I think yeah, that, that would makes be a great, sense. That would be a great rule to just do. Um, and during regular season games, when teams are playing defense, like that's going to be a more impact. Like I, I take the, the score. I mean, I think the scores would definitely be higher um, if we instituted that rule. But I think that teams would also adjust defensively. But in the ADL star game, there's no I mean, there was there was very little defense. Unless someone's getting like a massive highlight worthy layout block, they're not or a sky or something. They're not playing a lot of defense. Yeah. It's like yeah, watching cool. the NBA All-Star game. It's like, why, it's why, why are we even keeping track of points? It, like, it's like, whose line is it anyway? Whose line is it anyways? Like, the points don't matter. <laughs> Dang, you kind of just sold me on the two-point line. I mean, I like it for Goldie, so I think I would like it for Frisbee, too. Right. That's super cool, because I, I thought it was really cool. I was really excited about it when it was announced for the All-Star game. And then when I saw the score was like 24 to 42, I was like, okay, so clearly we shouldn't. But I guess, yeah, like rewatching like the highlight reels and stuff, you look at it. I mean, it's the all-star game. It's just put on a big show of like fun Frisbee. So yeah, and I think it's interesting too, because I like watching the the ADL playoffs last year, like thinking about when New York was like kind of running out the clock um, in their semis game um, and like taking like those massive backwards like reset dump throws and stuff like I think that it would actually incentivize people using the whole field in in different offensive settings not just when they're trying to run off the clock um, and I think that like that's the goal I think of a two-point line is like you want people to make the field bigger because you want to see some like one-on-one matchups because I think that's going to produce the kind of ultimate that I think is exciting it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be like layout catches and terribly terrible decisions to make like amazing plays or something but you're going to make the field bigger and you're going to see players in one-on-one settings and that's when I think you get to see players demonstrate like the type of athleticism that they that is their superpower when they're in one when they're in one-on-one space so this is decidedly making the field smaller but would you be a proponent of backcourt violation then to kind of um, force them to, to keep moving up. I, so I would totally like that during active play, but I think like if you put the, the two point line where someone could tap the disc in in the middle of the field at the two point line, like pulls are going to get better. And if you have the backcourt violation thing, like it's going to initiate the offense a lot sooner. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Can you have a question or do you want to ask one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay. The question that was submitted on Instagram literally just says Scooter Hammer Thummer. Oh, I think it was Scuba Hammer. I, th- I think it's supposed yeah. to be Scuba. Okay, that's why I wrote, but I want to be sure. And, and I would go Hammer, Hammer, hammer yeah, ten, like, I guess, like, if we're talking short range, I'd probably, like, my Scuba's better than my Thummer, but I've been working on it. I like it for Golty a lot, but my Hammer is definitely the best out of all three of those throws. Yeah. 
hammers are so much fun. I love it. It's, it's I think I think I can confidently say it's all of our three favorite throw, all three of ours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we even have a disc. The three of us like share discs, and one of them just says hammer, yes or definitely. It's like eh. that's awesome. That's yeah. yeah. There's one yeah. choice <laughs> during tryouts. We were doing like buzzer beater scenarios, and like my team got we turned it over, and then we got the turn back, and then we had like a couple of seconds left or whatever, and I like looked at the clock, and like I my response was I just threw buyers like a 50 yard hammer because it was the easiest way to get her the disc without having to like try to break my mark or put something up that would let somebody else catch up to it and like everyone was going nuts I'm like everyone should have 50 yard hammers it's fine like (laughs) do you think it's because you were a catcher though like oh absolutely um the hammer was definitely the most the my most confident like the first throw that I felt super confident in and like my college captains were like hey so we're going to make a rule for you that you can't throw hammers in games until you have confidently learned how to throw a flick. And like, at the time I was like, Oh, they're just like trying to kill my fun. But then I realized, Oh, because it has the same grip, it's actually just great. They're just like essentially teaching me that if I, if I'm, if I have a flick grip, I can just really easily use a hammer. So yeah, I, I think that's why like that grip is definitely my preferred grip to throw in because if I can't throw a flick, I can, you know, put a hammer out to the break side. Like it's great. Absolutely. As someone who is also a catcher in baseball, like I, not softball, baseball, but so similar enough. Uh, yeah, hammers are my go-to now. It is best throw. And I had a similar experience with my, my like coaching staff, the, the president of my Frisbee club. And they were like, hey, you guys are throwing so many hammers. And I'm like, you guys got to start catching them. That's not on me. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I also think too, that like, I was explaining this to somebody like the mechanics of throwing a hammer as a catcher, because like, you're all, it's all about like using your core, like be like your, your throwing motion, super compact and super efficient. Whereas like compared to like an outfielder, it's like this big loopy full body thing that it's like being able to get a hammer off quickly and precisely. It's like, I I'm so happy that that was what my skill set was versus, you know, trying to make my throw a lot more compact. Cause like, I feel like I get so much power from being able to like utilize the same throwing mechanics. Okay, here's a question that I wish I had read this article. It says, a while back, you wrote an article about D-line swagger. Is there anything new or different you'd say now? Um, I, I think that, like, part of that that exercise, like, I think that it was really just, like, everybody should find the thing, like, find the thing that is their superpower. Um, and I think it was, like, it was coming from the lens of playing on the D line with on dragon in 2014 at worlds and a conversation that I had with one of my teammates, like in between games. Um, and honestly, like thinking about how like players, I think focus so much on their weaknesses and like trying to get better that they don't, you know, come into their own and like really appreciate the strengths that they have and how they can maximize that for a team. I do think that that's something that the pro game does help push is that you have players who maybe their role is like, it's a very specific thing, but it's built off of their strength um, versus like in a club team where you have to have a bigger roster, you're, you know, planning for lots of different scenarios. You know, a lot of times it's like, you're thinking about how to limit your weaknesses against an opponent. And I think the pro game does kind of push that narrative a little bit more. Does anything change? No, I think everybody should find 
the thing that makes them confident, that makes them feel strong and empowered, um, and that they should really feel comfortable owning that. I also think there's been like a lot of conversation around equity um, in terms of having non-male players like have a lot more swagger in our sport and just sports culture in general. Um, for those of you who watched the the women's final four and the basketball, um, like getting to see some of the, I would say this, the most swaggy like female athletes on the planet right now, we're probably getting paid the highest amounts of money relative to like professionals because the their NIL deals are wild, but like getting to see that and like have that take, you know, front stage, I think is like, it's pretty impactful and cool. So I don't think a whole lot has changed. Um, I think I'm probably better at being able to point to the things I'm good at now than I was in 2014. Um, but I think that comes with playing more and being older and just being comfortable with myself. Sure. That's awesome. So we actually had another question submitted on Instagram that kind of transitions nicely from that. Uh, they want to know, how do we foster the growth of professional women's sports and mixed gender sports? Um, quite frankly, I think it starts uh, with having more non-male role models um, for younger athletes so that, you know, they're socialized to see um female non-binary trans athletes like in positions of power um you know being the ones dictating strategy coaching like being seen skillful and knowledgeable and badass uh and as leaders because i think that changes how people value the media they consume later um so what i think like it starts first with having more like a more female non-binary and trans coaches um in youth sports and then having more male assistant coaches, like seeing what it's like for people that they're used to being in positions of power, actually supporting and reinforcing what these other voices that have been more marginalized. Um, so I think that that's important. Um, I also think that having more media coverage is immensely helpful. Um, a lot of the stats are coming out from the women's final four this year. Um, honestly, the entire women's NCAA tournament had better broadcast slots, better channels, and they're seeing that actually people do want to consume this stuff. Um, it's not just, oh, no one wants to watch it. Well, was it that no one wants to watch it or that you didn't give people a chance to watch it? So I think that incre like increasing the, like the coverage and the access to that coverage, making it easier for people to see is a huge component of it. Um, and then just valuing the different skills or like a wider variety of skills and types of athleticism. Um, I think that American sports culture really does value American football, like as like the highest echelon of sport. Um, and it'll like, if you go to other countries, that's not necessarily the number one sport that they consume. Um, like I know like handball is really big in some European countries and like in some countries, women's handball is more like gets more coverage than men's handball does, or like. I think it's really interesting that like when you go outside of the U S and you don't look at American football as like the end all be all for athleticism and, and, and sports that you get a little bit better, at least more, more balanced coverage in a certain sense. Like in a lot of, quite frankly, I think we just prop up our sports culture. So, so much higher than it needs to be. But um, I think that like, once we get away from American football being the end all be all and like showing that there's other sports that can provide different qualities of athleticism or like 
allow people with different qualities of athleticism to shine. Um, that's actually something that I wrote about once um, was about the thing I like about ultimate is that there really is a role for every type of athlete and teammate um, because the field is so big and we're outside and a disc flight is very different than the way balls move and stuff. Like you can have an offense that's designed for short, fast people. You can have an offense that's designed for tall, slower, but can jump people. You can have people who are really skilled, you know, be competing with teams that, you know, are more fast and athletic than them. Like, I think there's just so many different variables that you get to really capitalize on different types of athleticism and in ways that you don't in other sports. So I think the world just needs more Frisbee too. Yeah, that's a good answer. So kind of not related, I guess, but what you, you had said kind of reminded me of seeing your Instagram and just like, you, you've been posting a lot about like your end zone celebrations and stuff. Like, can you talk to us more about that? And just like how that is even very visibly like empowering the celebration and being a badass like woman after you, after you succeed on the field. Um, I just think that for the longest time I was told that like spiking was bad. Like, I think it's not great to spike it on people. Like, I, I don't think that people should, should, should be throwing anything at anybody like at close range like that. Like you can hurt somebody, maybe not as much of the disc, but I mean, like if you get the, any other ball or implement, like you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but like, I think honestly, like getting more into the WNBA and like women's college basketball and seeing that there's like a lot more trash talk and a lot, like a lot more celebrating, like it, like I, when I watch that, I feel excited. I feel like I'm ready to go dunk on somebody, right? Like I'm ready to go to, to go do something. So I feel like if athletes just celebrated more, a, your team dynamics going to be more fun. You're going to enjoy it. And like, honestly, like, I don't think like as an opponent, if someone spikes and like gets really amped and has an awesome celebration, I'm like, I'm ready to go. Like, let's, let's turn it on. Like I'm coming back at you. Like, I think it just elevates the game and it elevates the competition. It gets people in the zone. Like, I, I just don't see like a drawback from it. And I think it's important that people celebrate their teammates and how awesome they are. Um, I think everyone could, could handle more celebration in their life. And that's kind of a path that I've chosen since coming back after COVID is that like, I just didn't, I didn't play for like a year, just like everybody else did or a year and a half or whatever. And like, why should I, why should I not enjoy my time with my teammates? Like I'm here having fun. We're all working hard. Like let's have some fun. So. Absolutely. One of my, one of my favorite things about sports, especially Frisbee, because there's a lot you can do with it. Is just seeing like the, uh, the celebrations after a point, what can us three as fans, cause we're going to, we're going to try and get to every strike game at home this year. That's kind of my goal for the summer. What can we expect as far as team celebrations and individual celebrations from you? Honestly, when I was at practice, I just try to like get people to just like, I, I was actually just asking people to kick spike it because they were like, well, how should I spike it? How should I celebrate? I'm like, here, just kick spike it. It's fun, whatever. Um, and people, I think even that, like, I think there's a lot of players in the Midwest in particular. And I, I don't know if this is a Midwestern values thing where it's like, we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable or anything. Like a lot of my teammates, because they've, they've been there before. They're like, oh, I've been here before. I don't need to celebrate. It's like, yeah. And yeah, you've been here before and like get your teammates hyped that you've been here before. And in fact, I'd like to see you do it again another five times this game or this practice. Like, um, 
I don't know. I've been just trying to get people to celebrate. So I think that we'll, I'm hoping that we'll see some spikes. I think some people you'll see, like, I know like Alicia cars, like go-to is like to throw the, just just like throw the disc up. Like that's, that's her celebration. And yeah, I think, I think you'll see some celebrations. I'm also like all about like chest bumps, high fives, handshakes, all of that kind of stuff. So uh, we got some games to, to lay those out as well. Um, I also just like rushing the field, you know, cheering like that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely like an exuberant celebrate, like celebration person. I'm not like a, I'm like here to like kick your ass kind of person, but I'm totally for people. If that's what they like to do to celebrate. It's not my cup of tea, but I'm like an exuberant, joyful person and kind of goofy. So that's, that, that'll be probably the types of celebrations you'll see from me. Now nice. I have to practice them because they have to be good. I don't score a whole lot though. Like that's the problem as a thrower. You don't get to, you don't get to celebrate a whole lot. You don't get to do a lot of spikes because you don't score. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm currently transitioning to being a full-time handler for my Frisbee team. And my kind of go-to now is to pull out the bow after oh, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. After you get an assist. You mm-hmm. can use that. There, should, yeah. there definitely should be more like, like duo celebrations because yeah, like the handler is doing as much work, right? Like you gotta, you gotta yeah. celebrate those throws when you, whenever you yeah. got them up, just pull, pull some, pull some fun out. Yeah. My, um, so I played on like, so in Madison, like summer league is like a really big thing. You get to sign up as a team, like with your friends. Um, and so my team, we always dress in costumes or have like themes. Um, and so the like our, one of our favorite, like annual themes is like WWE wrestling night. And so the person who throws the assist and the person who scores, they have to like, the person who throws the assist gets to pin the person who scores. So like that, that, that's always been fun. And then we have like one of my teammates that always like dress up as a referee. So she would be there just like, you know, counting that counting down the three count. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's so goofy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Oh. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying we have a, a semi-related question to Summer League from Instagram. One asks, what's your favorite Summer League team? Uh, they, they gave a hint. It rhymes with fry larder. <laughs> it's the tryhards. So we um we named our team like so we were like a bunch of people who do really like to try hard, but also really have fun. So um our our franchise, if you will, used the used the Die Hard um, series, but we would use Try Hard as a, instead of Die Hard. So we have, you know, Try Hard with a Vengeance, Try Hard Two, Try Harder, Live Free, Try Hard, A Good Day to Try Hard. Like there's a lot that we could work with. We actually ran out of uh, Die Hard movies uh, last year, so we were like, man, what do we do? Like, and then I ended up moving away, and I think there's people who aren't going to play Summer League this year from that group, so. I think it's tight. It'll be another rebranding different thing, but yeah, the tryhards were definitely my favorite forever. That's hilarious. Uh, I love ultimate. <laughs> um, okay. Here's a question that might need some context. How does one chunk also so proud of you? And this, it says from Mark. Uh, um, so last year on noise, um, we had, uh, we had, I, I don't know if it's, so we name all of our lines after sounds. Um, and one of our D lines last year was named Chonk. I think that um, Fran meant to write honk, but there was like a, you know, a line on the dry erase board. So they became Chonk. Um, and so, I don't know, Chonk became this like motto for being like 
super goofy, weird, and like it's it's supposed to be hunk, but it's not, you know, like um, and I think it was like just as it turned into like our fun, our fun cheer. Like we we cheered chunk and like we had like a whole like song and dance that went with it. Like our chunking cheer was definitely like our go-to cheer. And we also obviously cheered for chunk the line. So we 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 brought that one out a lot, but um, I think it's really just, you have to be unabashedly be yourself to answer the question. How do you chunk? You have to be like unabashedly yourself and you have to like be willing to look like an absolute idiot. Like people are going to judge you for like doing a crazy song and dance while spelling the word chonk and then chonking and dancing to it. Um, and so you just, you just lean into it you're just like, this is who I am and I'm a weirdo and just, just go for it. So I think that's the, that's the secret to chunking for sure. Um, we have a question here from Instagram. This is uh, any good Dylan DeClerc stories. Um, any good Dylan DeClerc stories. Um, yeah, I, I really feel like, um, my favorite Dylan moment was so at, re at, at like any time that noise plays CLX, um, Fran Kelly would like, I have no idea. This is, this is from noise lore pre when I joined the team. I mean, the noise was a team since like 2009 or 2008. And like, he would drink from a bottle of syrup and it just like, just he'd be dumping it all over his face. And again, I don't know. And Fran did not play the series with us last year. And so we played CLX at region at regionals. Um, and Dylan just shows up like, and he's just like wearing like a wrestling singlet and he just like takes off of his jerseys wearing a wrestling singlet. And he just like guzzling syrup. And it was, it was everything that our team needed. And I, I mean, I, I respect the hell out of Dylan that just like, it took it to like this whole other level. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's probably my favorite Dylan DeClerc. Um, and my second favorite Dylan DeClerc story would be before world. So we did this, um, uh, me and one of my teammates wanted to get our team, like get noise into wrestling culture, like WWE, cause he's also on my summer league team. Um, and so we made these like wrestling belts that got awarded after every practice or game or at day at tournaments and stuff. And so Dylan got it the practice before worlds. And he sends like this video to us about like, it starts out like he wasn't, he didn't think he was going to be able to go to the tournament. And then it was like, no, he's going to win the tournament. And he like, it turned into like this amazing, like wwe wrestling call out style video and like but i think half of our team when we watched it we were just like oh my god dylan's not coming to worlds like what the hell and he like got us so bad like some of us i'm very gullible though too so maybe other people knew that he wasn't serious but i definitely was nervous and then totally fell for it and it was again like dylan always comes in with like really endearing very big gestures um but in very unexpected times and ways and I really appreciate that. That's cute. I like that. <laughs> the syrup bot, like that is nasty. <laughs> like that grosses me out. I feel like I need to take a shower just hearing about that. Yeah, he but, smelled like syrup like all day. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was pretty it's, intense. It's a strategy. I mean, yeah, it's a it's right? a thing. All right, so we're gonna refer to him as Mr. Maple from now on, right? <laughs> I mean, you Absolutely. can do what you want. I don't know if he's going to like it. <laughs> All right. um, I have one of the oh, questions here that I was confused about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they just said, uh, what's your favorite brand of cigarette? <laughs> well, noise last year, uh, we did this whole bit with fake cigarettes at nationals last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've actually never smoked a cig- an actual cigarette before, so I can't, I can't say, so I'm going to say the noise brand cigarettes that whatever, whatever were provided to me is the fake cigarettes that I received, uh, before semis last year was definitely sure. my favorite, my favorite brand. Okay. We were I don't have brand loyalty like- beyond that though before the interview we're all just like we were all talking about that question in particular we're like i feel like she's way too active to even have time to smoke cigarettes Here, wait, hold on a second i'm getting i'm getting something off of my refrigerator oh boy excellent <laughs> this is gonna be great Here, this, is, this is my favorite photo from a frisbee tournament it's of me pretending to light a fake cigarette before semifinals. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my I've, gosh. Never, I've never I've never lit a cigarette. I've never smoked one. I thought that was a pretty realistic looking like bit, right? Like yeah. it, it looks real to me. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, like at, at, when we were playing, like if you watch if you watch like footage of noise playing semis and finals, like you're probably gonna see that people have like fakes or they have cigarettes like tucked in their headbands or behind their ears. They're fake, I swear. Um, but it was pretty funny. I don't know, like. It was just a joke. I don't know. Awesome. We, we have a lot of props on noise. If, if that's not a, if that's that's not clear, we've got a lot of props. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. I'll ask another question. I'll suggest. Um. So, what's your favorite non frisbee hobby? Not necessarily sport, but like non frisbee hobby in general. Um, I really like weightlifting, um, just because like, I, I've, I've been doing weightlifting for like, since I was like in eighth, like the summer between eighth and ninth grade. Um, and I just, I really like the, I really like feeling strong and I like watching (laughs) movements. Apparently also likes it. Um, but yeah, no, I really like weightlifting feeling pretty strong and empowered. I want to know what kind of dog you have. Love to learn about your dog. <laughs> are we are we still recording right now? Yes. yes. Yeah, we are. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. No. Uh, someone's someone just got here because speaking of the weightlifting, I do have like a nice outdoor gym. And one of my friends is about to use it. And so Lily's going to like go from aggressively barking to like getting very excited to see him. So she's all of like 20 pounds. I'll show her when she stops jumping on him. (laughs) Cute. I'll take this opportunity. I didn't get to earlier because the conversation kind of flowed in the wrong direction. Uh, Jane Cook, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast sometime. That'd be great. And Dylan DeClerc as well, now that we mentioned him. Get both of them on the podcast, please. That'd be great. We've also dropped Alicia Carr. She's on the strike. Uh, let's let's just get everyone. Yeah, everyone we've mentioned. In we'll just episode. cycle every single strike player. Let's go. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And if you were at home or listening and wondering how you can come support the strike, you can go to the Minnesota Strike website right now and order tickets. I recommend getting the season tickets because you get each individual home game at a cheaper price than if you bought the tickets individually. 
This is not a sponsored message. <laughs> it could be though. Could be. Hey, could strike. Be. If you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast sometime. <laughs> Give us some money. <laughs> <or something. laughs> send me, send me here. All I'm asking for is one free jersey. Just send me a free jersey. Whatever, man. That's all I need. <laughs> buy a jersey. <laughs> exactly. You should buy a jersey. That's correct. Yeah. That's the correct Yeah, one. Kane. I will do it right now while we're on the pod. You guys. <laughs> um. Okay, I'm trying to look at our question list. I think we've kind of hit everything. Do you guys have anything else? Yeah. Um, okay, sorry. I'm just like look going through all our questions because we had a bunch and like all the Instagram questions. Yeah, Robin, this is this has been great. We really enjoyed having you on. We really appreciated your insights, your your funny answers, your serious answers. Um, so glad we could have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good it was a good uh, good way to get me out of work at a reasonable time. So I appreciate that. <laughs> And I like talking about Frisbee. So hopefully I'll get to see the three of you at a home game. Absolutely. Um, and I'll be showing up in the black or the gr- or the white one. Which one should I get, guys? Okay. He's I mean, the answer yours. is the black one. The answer All is right. the black one. I was leaning towards it's, it. It looks really cool. It's very cool. That's cold. All right. And for all the listeners out there, a professional or premier ultimate league jersey ranking will be coming your way soon. And the Minnesota Strikes, obviously the top, right? Uh, this honestly is really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, just going to wrap it up here. Robin, do you have anything else you wanted to, to say? You want to ask us? or I mean, like I said, you've been, you've been a great guest. Uh, thanks. I don't have any questions for you all. I feel like uh, I've talked for, for, much, for much too long, but I'm really <laughs> thankful for the opportunity and excited to see you all at a home game. Definitely. Absolutely. Yep. And and yeah, like I said, for the for listeners, uh, the season starts in just a couple of weeks here. The strike have a couple couple of games on the road to start. So I think their first home game is in May, but they're at Seafoam Stadium too this year. Um, so definitely looking forward to, to coming out supporting them. Um, you can follow us and the strike on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We've got a lot of exciting uh, content coming out. The strike, again, their season is just in a couple of weeks away. So we definitely hope you follow us, uh, subscribe to our content and follow the, the strike. And we also want to just say that this, this episode is um, presented by the R1P1 network. Um, again, they're doing this great um, social media content for us, making all the um, the YouTube thumbnails and all the graphic design for us now. So again, want to shout out them. They've been, they've been great for us. Um, and also a guest star of Robin's dog. <laughs> this is this is Lily, the responsible party for all of that aggressive dog uh, barking that you heard earlier. All twenty pounds of her was. was <laughs> we was, love to see it. Yeah. Oh, so she is super cute. I know. Cute. Doesn't really match that that bark, does it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, with that, everyone, thanks for listening, and don't forget to stay chilly.